good evening and Merry Christmas to everyone uh, celebrating around the world, wherever you may be, wherever you are. I appreciate all of you for checking out episode 38 of The Young Lion's Perspective. Before I even get started on talking about honorable mentions and my top 10 matches of the year for 2018, I just want to start by saying thank you so much for rocking with me since the beginning, um, July of 2018. Um, I know before I even started doing this podcast, I was on hiatus with the Wrestling With podcast, myself, Nick, and Kevin. Um, since then, um, we've all been doing our separate things. Um, of course, Nick doing his thing, you know, with his uh, as a barber. I know Kevin's been doing a lot with school lately, so he's been working on that with like audio and stuff. But doing this podcast really has been awesome. I'm not gonna front with you guys. It has been really cool to just try uh, to get a little bit of a consistent thing going, talking about pro wrestling, talking about it from my point of view, and just sitting down and actually putting in the work to put out content that you guys would appreciate um, day in and day out. And the fact that we've gotten almost close to 40 episodes before the end of this year and a little bit over 700 plays with this podcast, I can't thank you guys enough. I know we're, I know I'm just a small fish in a big pond, especially in the world of professional wrestling podcasting with big names like Solid Monster and JD from NY206 and the Sledgehammer Podcast, uh, Don Tony and Kevin Castle, Bruce Pritchard, you know, uh, JR, Steve Austin, all the big names there, Taz, and all that. And the fact that you guys were willing to take time out of your day to even check out the podcast and see what I had to say about it, um, it really means a lot. And I really mean that from the bottom of my heart because... I'm not going to lie, doing this is not easy, but I'm not one to do easy shit, and, you know, now now knowing that we have a consistent thing going where I do enjoy doing this more than anything in this world, more than anything, and it really means a lot, even if it's just, you know, four plays or, or up to 30 plays. Like I have with the Super So Down uh, prediction show, um, it has been really cool to to see that you know you guys are you know willing to check me out and see what I have to say about it, and that uh, that means more than anything to me. You know, like I said, I'm a small fish in this, so I don't mean to get too sappy on you guys, but I'm just really you know I'm really thankful and very appreciative of every single one of you who checked out this podcast that. You know, willing to take a, a chance and see what I had to say. And some of y'all have been cool with Some of y'all have been consistent. Sometimes it has been a lot of plays. Sometimes it has been. But, hey, it, it, it is what it is. And like I said before, I'm just thankful for every single one of you guys checking out the show. And 2019 is just going to be bigger and better. And we can only go up from here. And that that's what I want. I want to get, I want this to be bigger. I want this to get better. I want to challenge my shell myself. I can't even word. I want to challenge myself now. 2019, you know, we set the groundwork in 2018. Now starting in 2019, January 2nd, we're going to get better. 
we're going to be doing more. I want to, I got I so many ideas in my head that I want to do for episodes um, going forward. So get ready, get strapped in, because it's going to be a crazy ride in 2019. And we got a lot to work with. Of course, with Wrestle Kingdom coming up, with NXT TakeOver Blackpool coming up, NXT TakeOver Phoenix, the Royal Rumble, Elimination Chamber, unfortunately Fastlane, whatever, you know, WrestleMania, everything with New Japan, New Year's Dash, uh, the New Beginning Tour, New Japan Cup, uh, Sakura Genesis, and Dominion, you know, Best of Super Juniors and all that. We are only going to get better. 2019, I think, is going to be a fantastic year for us. So, Strap yourselves in, stick around, because this is going to be one crazy ride. Now that we got the mushy shit out of the way, I do want to talk about... Get myself situated here. Um, I do want to do a little something um, before I get into my top 10 list for 2018. Um, I want to hand out some awards. Uh, I was thinking about doing this a little while back. Uh, I wanted to do like a 12 days of Christmas type deal. Um, but I just didn't have a chance to get around and do the work stuff and all that. So, but I want to hand it off a couple of awards, you know, so it's going to be male MVP, female MVP, tag team of the year, feud of the year. And I already did my future stars list a couple episodes ago. So if you haven't checked that out yet, please check that out and let's get right into it. So male MVP, um, this one actually was the most difficult of the ones I wanted to have. Um, I did it on my whiteboard. I broke it down. And my male MVP, I'm going to hand it out to 29 in 2018. I'm going to give it to Kenny Omega. He has had probably one of the best years I've seen. Now, I know AJ Styles has had a great year as well. He, he was right there. It was between those two, Omega and Styles. But I think in terms of storylines, what happened between those two. I think the feuds between knock with him and Styles and Nakamura and Styles and Joe did kind of hurt him in the end. And Omega's feud with Okada, the the performance that he had in the G1 cl- uh, Climax tournament, the match that he had with Ibushi, the fact that he's going to be going up against Tanahashi for the IWGP heavyweight title um, next Friday. I think it took him over the hump just enough to get my vote for MVP. And I think it's a well-deserved award to give to a guy like Omega. He's had a great year, and I can't wait to see what he does next Friday at Wrestle Kingdom 13 against Tanahashi. In terms of female MVP, this was also a very difficult award to give out. A lot of people would say, some people would probably say a Charlotte, but I would give it to Becky Lynch. And for the simple fact that the second half of her year, she has been probably the most dominant superstar, male or female in WWE. Her name has been literally everywhere. She's Her Twitter game is second to none. If you follow her on Twitter, she's been killing it with the tweets, uh, poning, <laughs> punking out Corey Graves, the thing deal she had with... Uh, Ronda Rousey, you know, the way she's been going about it, the way they've been booking her. Um, it has been the most organic push I have seen since Daniel Bryan when he had his push a few years ago, uh, heading in towards the WrestleMania 30. 
and it's been fantastic. I mean, it's just been amazing to see when people like us, when fans like us, get behind Al Becky Lynch, and the way they booked her um, from July, end of July into SummerSlam. Her not winning the championship at SummerSlam, then her feud with Charlotte, uh, still ongoing in my honest opinion. Um, you know, her finally winning the SmackDown Women's Championship, the match she had with uh, Charlotte at Evolution, the match that she had at TLC with Asuka and Charlotte. It was, it was, she has killed it. And I know you, and I know a lot of people would probably say, oh, but you know, she, her, the first half of her year was pretty much non existent. She really wasn't being involved. And that's not on her. That's on WWE. You know, not being able to push the women's division at a level that we feel that it should be maintained at. But there, I don't think she would be champion if we weren't behind her. And I honestly do mean that. So Becky Lynch is my MVP female, female MVP for 2018. Uh, in terms of tag team of the year, this one was probably a little bit more difficult. In terms of the fact that I did talk about this with my buddy Russell, and we had spoken about it a few times, and we talked about uh, about it, but I am actually going to hand the award to the Gorillas of Destiny for this one. This may be an unpopular one unless you've been following New Japan uh, consistently as I have, but their year has been absolutely fantastic. Um, the whole or and it really started ramping up around like may and june so for a majority of the year they had been involved in the storyline you know where they felt the bullet club was not going the way they felt it should because they're the ogs those two i mean tamatanga is an og of the bullet club he was involved with the first four or five members that were part of bullet club uh, with himself and valor carl anderson luke gallows and to see where he's at now, to see where they are now, uh, winning the Never Openweight Championships and then becoming the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions has been nothing short of fucking fantastic. And then they're going to go into the three-way match with the Young Bucks and Sanada and Evil at Wrestle Kingdom 13 is going to be absolutely fucking crazy. And they've been killing it. The OGBCs have been killing it as of late. Um, and I felt they deserve top honors as the best tag team, in my opinion, right now. Some would say the Young Bucks uh, for what they've done, and especially with their all-in thing, and, you know, the match that they had a Strong Style Evolved, which was fucking amazing. But I think G.O.D., in my truthfully honest opinion, gets the honors from me. Feud of the Year is probably the easiest one I can hand out because it's Tommaso Ciampa and Jardy Gargano. For the entirety of 2018, these two have been at each other's necks. Um, now I know as of late, Alistair Black and, Gar and Johnny Gargano have been at odds with each other, but the, uh, but the second half of 2018 has been involved with Gargano and, uh, Tommaso Ciampa. And this feud has those Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens vibes that I love so much that when they had that feud in NXT, um, a couple years ago, it has those feels of that and they have been and they have killed it at takeover new orleans at takeover chicago 2 the match that they had in um, the street fight in the last man standing for the nxt championship 
and leading up and then him uh, Gargano being the one who attacked Alistair Black. Tommaso Champ has been putting on matches as of late that have been amazing. So feud of the year is quite simple. Gargano Champa is your feud of the year. There has been not been a feud at all in 2018 that beats this. And if anyone says otherwise, you can curse them out. And those those are my and those are the year and the wins I can think of off the top of my head. And those are my main four that I want to go with. So that's my year-end awards. I know it's not really spectacular or anything like that, but I felt honors go to all all of them. But now getting into my honorable mentions. These are the ones that almost made the cut, but the 10 that I have, I feel are much better than the five I have here. Starting off with Andrade Cien Almas versus Johnny Gargano at TakeOver Philadelphia. This match really started off everything for Champa Gargano. But the match itself was as close as it was an instant classic. I mean, these two put on an absolute show at TakeOver Philadelphia in the main event. Um, it wasn't the result that fans did want uh, with Almas retaining over Gargano. But there were so many moments in the match where everyone was on uh, on the edge of their seats waiting for that Gargano championship win. Uh, me personally, the way they had, were booking it, I thought it was going to be uh, Gargano versus Cole at TakeOver New Orleans for the NXT championship. And then Almas and Black would be somewhat of like a number one contenders match. And either way, those four at the time were the top guys I felt in the company. And then with Champa. Attacking Gargano after the match was fucking, fucking fantastic. It was just so good. From beginning to end, that match was a ride. That match was such a wild ride. Felt, like I said, so many near falls. And then the and then almost winning, taking the air out of that building in Philly was just fucking spectacular. Um it was just it was just a great match to watch. Number two. And this is maybe interesting for <laughs> this may be weird because I on my 2017 picks that I unfortunately never released, I had one where it was every Naito Tanahashi match all year. And this is gonna be following in that theme. Every Tomohiro Ishii Minoru Suzuki match all year. All year. When those and I've said it, I said it before, and I think I said it in my G1 review. Anytime Tomohiro Ishii and Minoru Suzuki were in the in the ring against each other, whether it had been a one-on-one match or a tag match, and those two got involved against each other, these two literally laid into each other the heaviest hits I had literally seen all year. You knew every time these two were going to go at it, it was going to be a fight. It was going to be a dog fight, and that's what... I love so much about the Japanese strong style. They lay into each other. They give no fucks. They are going to give you the hardest hits, period. Suzuki is just a hard hitter in and of itself, and Ishii is no slouch when it comes to um, beating somebody upside the head, too. And you can go back to plenty of their matches for uh, 
for the Rev Pro Championship. I believe that was back at King of Pro Wrestling to their match at the G1 to matches they had earlier in the year, them being involved in tag matches. They just they just laid into each other every single time. So every Tomohiro Ishimanoru Suzuki match this year is an, is an honorable mention in my book. Number three was also a very significant match of 2018 in terms of New Japan storyline and uh, their booking was Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi for the IWGP heavyweight title at Wrestling Duntaku Day 2. For, uh, I believe that was in May, if I'm not mistaken. Um, This was more of the feud of Okada having been the champion for over a year, close to two years, at the time of this match. Okada was on the on the precipice of eclipsing Tanahashi's record of 12 consecutive title defenses. And Tanahashi stepped up and wanted to be the one to defeat him and not have him break his mark of 13. Of 12, I should say, and make it a 13th consecutive title defense. Those the every time these two fight each other in the ring you're always going to get the best of Okada and Tanahashi. And this match was completely no different. I love this match. I've always loved the rivalry since the since Okada made his return to New Japan um, when he took the heavyweight championship away from Tanahashi. I believe that was back in like 2015. And their rivalry has been going ever since. They fought at Wrestle Kingdoms. They fought at Dominions. They faced each other in the G1. Uh, this year, actually, um, I believe it was, yeah, it was their final B block. I think it was a B block match. I know it was a block match. There was their last block match. And Okada had to win in order to get to the final. Tanahashi, I believe, just had to also had to win, but to make sure he won the group, make sure he won the block. And they actually had a 30 minute draw on each other, allowing Tanahashi to make it to the final against Kota Ibushi. And. That match was significant for the fact that Okada did eclipse Tanahashi's record of 12, making his 13 consecutive title defense before he went on to face Omega at Dominion for the IWGP heavyweight title. Number four, Will Ospreay versus Marty Skrull at Sakura Genesis 2018. And I'm basing my choices off of significance of match. That is a big piece of my criteria. What is the significance of this match? Why is this on the list? Why is it on my top 10? Why will it be an honorable mention? It was for the simple fact that Osprey, at the time, had never gotten the better of Marty Skrull. Skrull's main line was, there are three things in life that are certain. Death, taxes, Skrull beats Osprey. It was an absolute. It was absolutely fantastic. The way these two went about it, especially in just a, it wasn't even a title on the line, anything. Osprey just wanted to beat Skrull to prove that he can win a match against Marty. They absolutely killed each other in this match. So much high flying. Two, between two former IWGP junior heavyweight champions, they went at it. 
And in the end, Osprey got the better of uh, Skrull. Finally. Finally exercising that demon and beating Skrull. So, so good. And every one of these mentions, I would want you to go back and check those out. Um, if you haven't already checked those out, they're all effing worth it. And this match was fucking fantastic. It was so, so good to see Osprey finally beat Skrull one-on-one. My last honorable mention of 2018 is a more recent one, but definitely deserves some love. And this would have been on my list if it hadn't been for two other matches that actually was, in my opinion, was better. And that was Aleister Black versus Johnny Gargano at NXT TakeOver War Games 2. Make a note of that. There, Roman numeral. There you go. And the storyline of this was so simple. Alistair Black, Gargano, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa were first to face each other in a triple threat match for the NXT Championship at TakeOver Brooklyn 4. That was supposed to be the main event of TakeOver Brooklyn 4 this year. Now, unfortunately, Alistair Black had a groin injury before the match. And we had found that out, and it was spoke, and then it became Gargano versus Champa. So once that happened, and we got and we got a solid match out of those two at Takeover Brooklyn for the NXT Championship. But then we had the the huge storyline of who attacked Aleister Black, a two month storyline that pretty much took over the entirety of my existence and made the main roster shit seem so irrelevant. I wanted to know who attacked Aleister, uh, Aleister Black. I had Crash's Ono for the longest time. Um, when it came out to be Johnny Gargano, it made so much sense when he cut that promo of, you know, this it wasn't personal, it was just business. He, wa- he still, at the end of the day, wants to take out Ciampa and become the NXT champion. Black just happened to be in the way. Along the way, when that whole storyline, when, when it came to its head and Nikki Cross told Aleister Black who it was, and then we really got into the apex of the story, we got into the big part of the story, that's when Black Gargano really took off. And the match they had at War Games was second to none. Like I said, in my uh, NXT, in my, uh, you know, NXT Takes Over Hollywood episode, this was as close, the event itself was as close to an A-plus show as you can get. It was close to a 10 out of 10 show as you can get all year. In my opinion, if I had and I, if I had to pick a match card of the year, I would say TakeOver War Games 2 was the best card all year. In all of WWE. Hell in a Cell would be a close second. Hell in a Cell would actually be a distant second. But if you want to go buy everything in WWE, NXT TakeOver... War Games 2, best card of the year. From top to bottom. Hands down, without fail. And only had four matches. That's how good it was. And everything was damn near perfect. But if you if you want to check out that uh, episode, NXT Tickets Over Hollywood, please do check that out. Because I, I praised that thing up and down. And I highly praised Gargano versus Black. And now, 
And recently, we just had the steel cage match between Black and Gargano, and that was just as good, if not better, because that for the storyline of Black Champa, and now causes a little thing between Gargano and Champa at the end of the match where they did uh, meet me in the middle, what I call the finisher that DIY used to have when they were still running as a tag team. It was that good. It was solid. This is probably the best of the honorable mentions I have is Black Gargano. Just by storyline, everything that was going on, and now, now, it's time to give you guys my top 10 matches of 2018. This is episode 38 of the Young Lions Perspective, and with that being said, let us begin. For the last time in 2018, what's going on, guys? Zach from the Wrestling With Issues podcast here, and welcome to episode 38 of the Young Lions Perspective. And in case you didn't fucking know, today I give you guys the greatest Christmas gift of all, my top 10 matches for 2018. I've been wanting to do this since pretty much November. Um, I thought I had my list ready, and then a lot of shit happened. Uh, in the last two months of the year, so I said, let's be patient. Um, I figured today was a good day of all days to do this episode, not only because it's Christmas, but um, I am going to be uh, in Denver um, coming this Sunday. I'm going to be visiting some friends out there. So uh, if you didn't catch episode 37 from the Sunday, I made the announcement that of today, I would be giving my top 10 matches of 2018, and then January 2nd, will be the first new episode of 2019 in which I will be giving you guys my Wrestle Kingdom 13 preview and predictions. So, like I said, this train ain't stopping anytime soon. It's just after today, I'm going to be making sure I get things settled. I got work things. I got four more days of work. God help me. And uh, then I got to make sure I'm packed, ready to go for a Sunday when I head out to uh, Denver for New Year's. Of course, as always, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day, your night, your afternoon, your evening, your gym time, whatever time you're checking out this podcast, wherever you may be, wherever you are in the world. Thank you so damn much for checking out this episode of the podcast. And as always, I greatly and truly appreciate it. Now, with top 10 list, everybody's going to have one. Every publication has their, you know, top 10 sports moments of the year, the top 10 best dressed 2018, the top 10 um, Pornhub videos of <laughs> 28. I'm just thinking of random shit. Don't mind me. Um, top 10, this top 10, anything There's always going to be a top 10. And what I love about top 10 year end list is the debate. I love the debate. I love when it comes to, you know, top 10 matches of the year. because Everybody's going to have a different one. Damn near fucked up my arm just now. I just I was in a gym earlier today. And I, my shit's starting to cramp up. Not good. I'll put some icy hot on that a little bit later after I'm done with this. Um, but everyone's gonna has a has an opinion on what their top ten is. I have mine. You know my uh, my buddy Russell's gonna have his. Uh, I know my buddy Bill Brixton um, is gonna have one. Kevin's probably gonna have one. Nick's probably gonna have one. Um, what culture? Cultaholic. 
Don Tony and Kevin Castle, everybody's going to have a top 10 matches of the year in 2019. Some may be consistent with others. Some may have matches that they felt is on the list and ones that are on others' list may not be there. Some have a certain criteria, as do I. The criteria on my list, as I, as and one of the biggest ones on my list, is the significance of the match itself. You can't just have a random Monday Night Raw match that's uh, uh, you know a four out of, and a half out of five stars without something behind it. I think that's the biggest part of the criteria for my picks for this year. Significance of match. What was the biggest reason why we were having the match we were having? Um, title matches do ha hold weight in my world. Um, if it is a title match and the significance of the match is behind it, um, it does hold a bigger weight of it. Um, sometimes some, some of these matches, some of the match, title matches may be lower on the list than matches that aren't, but like I said, significance of the match matters. Um, another big one that, uh, when I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to have on this list was storyline purposes. The storyline itself has to be fucking major. You know, it has to be a solid storyline to get me interested in the match. A match of the year has to have literally all things wrapped in the one that had set the standard that all matches after it or before it had to follow. Dig what I'm saying? I mean, like I said, your criteria may be different than others. You, you might just throw a list on there, Willie. You might just throw, you know, a list together willy-nilly and call it a fucking day. With me, I really have been thinking about my list all year, ever since Wrestle Kingdom 12 started, January 4th of last year. Uh, actually, this year, wow. I'm already thinking 2019 mode, my God. So yeah, from January 1st until, in my, uh, and I had until what I consider the last pay-per-view of 2018 is my criteria, is my choice, is what I had to work with, which was um, TLC pay-per-view. Now remember, my list will con is going to consist of WWE, NXT, and New Japan. That's not to say I don't watch any other promotions, but if you have been rolling with this show since if you've been a day one on your day one ish with the podcast, I I really center my shows around those three promotions because in my opinion those are the top three in the world today. I mean, yes, we have the Ring of Honors, we have the uh, ICWs and the progresses and you know all of that but those three in my mind right now are the top three in the world um NXT UK came in a bit late so not every match that I mean there are a lot of matches that we had on the on for this year that was awesome but in my honest opinion they haven't fit the bill they haven't been there just yet so, for this purpose, for this year, NXT UK matches won't be involved on my top 10 list, which, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying it won't be for next year, um, since the fact we're getting um, NXT UK TakeOver Blackpool um, in early January. So, don't be surprised if come next year, at the end of, at the end of next year, we have a couple of, uh, possibly a couple NXT UK matches for 2019. Who knows? 
Only one way to find out. But let us get right into it. At number 10, and this is going to be a shock to some of you, but these two matches, I could not keep one off the list. I just couldn't, It as much as I would love to have a definitive one at top 10, I couldn't leave either of these matches out. So number 10 is a tie. And the first match I'm going to talk about is Cody Rhodes versus Nick Aldis for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship at All In. The storyline between these two was insane. Um, Cody Rhodes wanted to face Nick Aldis for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Nick Aldis, for the longest time, had been holding out on Cody Rhodes, and it had been defending the championship in other promotions on the road to All In. Nick Aldis, at one point, had stated that he would face Cody Rhodes at All In for the NWA World's title if he was if Rhodes was able to beat Dalton Castle for the ROH title. Um, he was unsuccessful. I believe he was, yeah, I believe he was unsuccessful in doing so. Um, but he still got the match against Nick Aldis at All In. The hype for this match was second to none. This this was a really huge match. All In itself was absolutely hyped. It sold out within an hour. You know, I wanted to go to All In, but I couldn't get a ticket. And I'm okay with that because I got to sit home, have a couple brews, and just watch the event in all its amazing fucking glory. But the highlight, a big highlight of this uh, whole card was Cody Rhodes versus Nick Aldis. When the match, when it got to this point in the card, in the night, the anticipation that had built for it got at the level, it really, the bar was elevated. And you knew something big was going to happen. Mind you, the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship is a big deal in my eyes. It is one of my favorite titles ever. I love the belt. I love the history behind it. I love the champions that were have held the title before. Nick Aldis, um, names like Flair, names like Rhodes, Dusty Rhodes, you know, very big names in the world of professional wrestling from uh, from the past have held this championship. So, and plus, of course, Cody Rhodes trying to do it in to honor the, the his father's legacy and do it for his father, but also with the entire city of Chicago behind him was just the pop for that moment when he finally got that three count, when he finally beat Nick Aldis to win the NWA world's title was so significant. The pop for it was astronomical. The crowd in Chicago. I wish I was there to be that in that moment with that crowd, because that would have been just phenomenal. I was behind. I had picked Cody to win because I felt, you know, having Cody win was significant. No, go lay down. My dog trying to get on the couch right now. Yeah, I'm trying to record, dude. I'll, I'll chill with you later. Go. Anyway, sorry about that. Uh, my dog trying to get in on the show. 
But um, this that match, the, the pop for that match, and I was on the edge of my seat because I wanted to see it happen. I wanted to see Cody Rhodes win that belt. I know he, he before that won the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship over Juice Robinson. I just, yeah, he became the IWGP champion. And just that, actually, no, he won that after. I'm sorry, I beg your pardon with that. He won the NWA title first, and then he beat Juice Robinson for the U.S. Championship. Um, it was still a moment for me that I could never forget, and it's, and I, it's a match that I still think about every once in a while because I would have wished that Rhodes would have had a longer reign with the championship. He did lose it about a couple, about a month and a half later. That two out of three falls match with Aldis, and now Aldis is still the champion to this date that I know of. I know he had a defense against Jimmy Havoc. Um, this past weekend, uh, I'm not sure what the result of the, what that was, but that the match itself was enough to make it to this list, and it was on my list ever since All In. It was just it was just a matter of where would I place it. The other match that tied with Rhodes and Aldis was actually a more re- the most recent match from the most recent WWE pay per view we had, and it should be no surprise. Um, it would be a surprise to you that it's this low. Asuka versus Becky Lynch versus Charlotte. The TLC match for the uh, SmackDown Live Women's Championship. Yes, it was a first-time-ever match. And we've been doing first-time-evers all year long. That's whatever. That's fine. But the significance of this was uh, due to the feud between Becky and Charlotte. Um, they were, they had been embroiled in a feud, of course, since late July. Um, they had been putting on some really good promos. They had a solid match at Evolution. And then it came to a head, I think, in my honest opinion, before Survivor Series. When Becky Lynch was taken out with a punch by Nia Jax. That caused Nick, uh, Becky, I'll go to say Nikki Bellas. Uh, somebody smack me if you see me. That caused Becky to be out for Survivor Series, and the match that we were supposed to get between Becky and Ronda now was out off the off the table. During her promo, in which she was going to choose an opponent, Asuka got a huge pop from the crowd, and the reports had stated there was a report out there that Vince McMahon was surprised by the crowd reaction that Asuka received during that promo which was a big part of the reason why she won the SmackDown Live Women's Championship. And for Asuka, it's a big moment for her, even though for a majority of the year, she had really hadn't been booked properly, especially in, especially in my opinion. And I'm a big fan of Asuka, still am to this day. But of all the negatives that were toward her, you know, and fans feeling that she wasn't being booked properly and, you know, she was getting fucked over with the whole Carmella deal and, you know, her losing to Charlotte at WrestleMania 34. We got to remember, she still won the first ever Women's Royal Rumble. We got to keep that in mind. She won that to face Charlotte at WrestleMania for the SmackDown Live Women's Championship. We got to keep that in mind. Of course, was almost almost became a sole survivor at Survivor Series again, and then capped off the year 
by winning the SmackDown Live Women's Championship. So I can't really knock Asuka for what she has done. There are a good amount of positives in there. I just wish WWE had done better in the booking of Asuka, but the match itself was so fucking good that it couldn't be denied and couldn't be kept off this list. So that's that's the only tie that I have. There are no other ties on this list. But number nine is a doozy. Tommaso Ciampa versus Johnny Gargano. The unsanctioned match at NXT TakeOver New Orleans, WrestleMania weekend. Y'all can't tell me for one fucking second you didn't enjoy this match. The storyline behind it was so damn good. So, so good. With Johnny Gargano being fired. Actually, I think it was a Loser Leaves NXT match or some sort of that. I can't remember off the top of my head. I should have done notes for this, but I'm just going off what I remember. And, you know, Johnny wanting his job back. The match that they had was just... It had to get to a point where William Regal could not hold either one of those two liable for what either of those men were going to do in that match. What they did in that match was absolutely insane. It was just... You got to think, a guy is fighting for his job to just get back in the NXT. And it all stemmed from... The mat, the loss that he had to Almas to take over Philly. All of it stemming around from that. The match itself was just fantastic. And you're going to be thinking, how is this number nine on your list when, you, when you're hyping it up so dang much? Right? I love this match. It's a match I always, t- I've checked it out at least once. Um, since the match itself had happened. And I'm probably going to see it again because, of course, I have the WWE Network and I don't care. But it was just such a good match just for... And then at the end, when he when he finally... You know, the moment where you know he was trying to hit Champa with the chair. It was a crutch, was a crutch I'm sorry. And Champa didn't want it to happen. Champa... Champa didn't want him to hit, get hit with the, with the with the crutch, man. And it was so, so... It was just that moment right there where Gargano almost didn't do it. And then Gargano thought better and went and just laid into him. All of the emotions that led up to that particular moment in the match was just so, so fantastic. Just moments upon moments in that match that you could go back to and talk about. But... That's only number nine on my list. Number eight was from the same event. It was a six-pack challenge to determine the inaugural NXT North American champion between Adam Cole, EC3, Killian Dane, Velveteen Dream, Lars Sullivan, and Ricochet at NXT TakeOver New Orleans. These six men, and I'm going to take a sip of water real quick before I get into this. These six men were 
literally some of the best the mid card had to offer at that time. Adam Cole was coming into his own with the Undisputed Era. EC3 had just came in. Killian Dane, I think Cindy was still down there at the time, but he was going to be on his way up to the main roster. Velveteen Dream was starting to have one of his, if not his best year in NXT. Laura Sullivan was becoming the, the, the beast that we knew he can be, and now he's heading up to the main roster next year. And Ricochet, I believe, had just been recently brought into the fold. These six guys were willing to put it all on the line to call themselves the first ever NXT North American champion. Either one of these six men would have been a, a great champion to become the first. Uh, at the time, I figured Velveteen Dream was on such a roll, especially after the feud that he had with Aleister Black. Um, the year prior, in 2017, the match that he had, that made him a household name with Aleister Black. So I figured, I felt in my honest, honest mind that the Velveteen, excuse me, the Velveteen Dream was going to take that, become the first North American champion, have a crazy run with the belt, and then go on to vie for the NXT championship. Because I wanted, because I kind of wanted it to be like the Intercontinental Championship used to be. And I kind of think they're still working with that, that, um, you know, leading up to that NXT championship shot. You know, when the NXT, when the, uh, not the NXT, the Intercontinental Championship used to be, whoever held that belt was more than likely going to be the next in line to vie for the WWE title. That's how it used to be for those that, you know, didn't know about the old, the true old school. If you were Intercontinental Champion at the time, you were literally the, num- like the more than likely the possible number one contender for the WWE Championship. You had the second highest belt, but that was like the workhorse belt. And the way they've portrayed the NXT North American title has kind of been in that same light. Because now you have Adam Cole uh, stating that, you know, 2019 is going to be our year and it's going to be filled with gold. And if that's the case, then we may see Adam Cole possibly become the NXT champion in 2019. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if that were the case, because I think he deserves NXT Championship gold. We'll see how that goes. The amount of spots that we saw in this match were absolutely fantastic. And the one that always sticks to my mind the most was the Purple Rainmaker elbow drop that Velveteen laid down on Lars Sullivan. The crowd in New Orleans stood up for that. Big time. They everybody in New Orleans stood up. They were and um in the Smoothie King Arena, everybody was standing up for that. Every person in this match had a moment. Cole had a good mo- Cole had a moment. EC3 had his moments in the match. It didn't feel like everyone was just laid out sleeping on the outside. Everybody was doing something in that match. It it was just simply perfect. In the end, Adam Cole became the first NXT North American champion. And he had a solid run with that title. 
He really did. Um, then leading into Brooklyn, the feud he had with Ricochet, then Ricochet taking over as champion. Yeah, I'm curious to see now who's going to be the next guy to defeat Ricochet. Because my mind, it was going to be EC3. And then you have Ricochet starting his uh, rise to go gun towards the NXT Championship. But that match really does hold a place in my heart for the simple fact that these six guys really displayed what it really meant and what it does mean to become just the first something. The inaugural, the, the name that no one will ever forget. It's a trivia question that will be in our minds forever. Who was the first ever United, oh, not the United Kingdom, North American, NXT North American champion? And Adam Cole took that. And I was happy for Adam Cole, even though I wanted Velveteen Dream to take that spot. Number seven actually involves someone on num- number nine's match of the year and a match we just recently saw, we recently talked about number eight. That match being Tommaso Ciampa versus the Velveteen Dream at NXT TakeOver War Games 2. I know you're starting to think, oh no, you're NXT biased. Like I said, WWE, NXT, New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's what we're basing this around. It's just... NXT had a really good fucking year <laughs> in terms of fucking this just match and it's so it's so hard. But this match I think it was I think honestly, even though Champa had retained the title, I think it elevated Velveteen Dream that much more. The fact that he had been on a tear as of late. He had just come off his victory over EC3 at Brooklyn. And what I thought was a good move, I thought was a decent match between the two. Um, and the promos that he was cutting, the this the way he had been going about it, Stamaso Champa, you know, getting past Gargano at Brooklyn in that last man standing match. And just the way it was built, the way it started, because then, because then, because Black Gargano was pretty much going to be was going to keep those two out of the way of the NXT Championship, and they needed to have a top contender. And Velveteen Dream, when he first cut that promo uh, after Champa was champion, and Velveteen Dream came out of nowhere, I'm thinking this could work. This could honestly work between these two, and it was a it was a big moment for Velveteen Dream. Want to come up? Good girl. And this was a and a lot of fans. I couldn't I wish I could have said I could have predicted Velveteen Dream winning NXT championship, but at that moment I knew Champa needed to keep the belt around his waist. But Champa being in that moment, Champa having that match with Velveteen Dream, and that being literally, according to Dave Meltzer, best match on the card. It was my, it was one of my, it was almost match of the night for me as well, if it weren't for the War Games match. And just the build, the match itself was so good. So, so damn good. You know, when you put two guys like Champa 
and Dream together. And and, and before I even talk about that, Champa, before that, was making everyone in that ring better. So much so to the point where I almost considered him to be my MVP of 2018. But I have Kenny Omega being my MVP. But if you want to say most improved of 2018, Tommaso Ciampa fits that bill 100%. He fits the bill. And I and I just love the year he has had. The, the feud he has ongoing with Gargano. The matches that he put on with him. The match he had with Aleister Black to win the NXT Championship was absolutely fantastic. And then it came to the match he had with Velveteen Dream. Just the moments in that match, the posing with those two, the, the Indian style sitting with Dream, just the way the match had ended with, you know, Dream going for the Purple Rainmaker on the apron the same way he did to EC3, missing it, him rolling back into the ring, Champa hitting the DDT on Dream and the exposed steel. And him winning that match in that fashion was so perfect. That it couldn't be denied. Meltzer said it was Meltzer said it was the best match of the night. Oh no, he said it was the second best match of the night at a 4.5. But I love this match so much that it couldn't be denied to be on my list for 2018. And before we move on, uh, I just want to say, like I said, these are some heavy hitters on this match so far. But number six out of this group so far is probably the best one yet. That being Kenny Omega versus Kota Ibushi in the final block match in the G1 Climax Tournament. The story of tag partners facing each other in a, in a in a match where they vowed never to face each other after the match at DDT Pro. And that was about four or five years ago, if I remember correctly. And it was to the point where when you saw both of their names on the block card and they were in the same block you knew at some point they had to face each other it was going to happen even though they vowed never to do it again and even though they didn't want to face each other they put on a match that was that even though there was no title on the line there, there was the only the main thing that they had was a chance to be in the G1 just to get to the G1 climax final that Sunday was on the line. It was a match that, if you watch it, you can understand why I put it on my list. Excuse me. They literally beat the living shit out of each other. V-triggers, hurricane ranas, power bombs, one-winged angels, uh, you know, high-flying moves on the outside. These two literally damn near killed each other just to get to the G1 Climax Final that Sunday. And I wish I was able to cover that match. Actually, I did cover that match, if I'm not mistaken. And I even said it was probably one of the best matches I had seen all year. 
with that. I, enjoy, I, for one, love the G1 Climax Tournament. I've said it is the, and I'm saying this now, outside of King of the Ring, and I wish they had brought started bringing this back because I love King of the Ring because it wrote a, it could easily write a storyline for the winner of the tournament, and that would give them the fight for the fight for the branch top branch championship. But G1 Climax's tournament guarantees you at that moment a shot to be in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom 13. And those two were just fighting for that shot. And I was just so impressed with what these two did. Their chemistry was fantastic. I mean, they, mind you, they're tag team partners. They're, they're the golden lovers. The golden lovers vowing to know they face each other and then they're facing each other in the final block match to get to the final. That that alone can get you on my list. The match was even better. And I and I would de- I will definitely go back and watch that because I have NJPW World. If you've never seen that match and you have New Japan World, you are making a great mistake by not watching that. If you don't have New Japan World, um, I don't allow, I don't usually say this, but uh, hit up a friend and who has an account and then just. Um, you know, watch that real quick and thank me later because you are going to see some of the best wrestling you've seen all year. And G1 Climax is the shit. And I can't wait to see what they do next year. Just just gonna put it out there. Don't don't at me with that. Just just you know, if you know a friend, throw him a couple bucks, be like, yo, I'll give you some beer or something like that. Okay, anyway. <laughs> we have fun here. But just that just that match. Makes a list. There wasn't even storyline behind it. It just you had to you had to face it. You had to do this. We got to do this. The way they even started off the match, you know, it's just like a hey, you know, I don't want to, but we have to, type deal. And they laid into each other, and it built up, and it it wasn't even like a slow build. You could feel that building immediately, starting there and then hitting that. You know, and them hitting the big moves. You know, I think the Young Bucks were on the outside of that, and they were just trying to like not be favoring one or the other because they're part of the, uh, the the Bullet Club Elite. All four of them are part of the elite of the group, and it was so. It was that match. Seriously, is is one of those matches where you going? You can go five years down the line, and I'd still think that's probably one of my will be my, one of my favorite matches. Period. Period, and it, and that's and that's all. And I'm saying, out of this grouping so far, from ten to six, that is a hard match to beat. But we're gonna take a quick break, you know, pay some bills, talk to our, and uh, go to our sponsors, and then we're gonna get into the top five matches of 2018 on the Young Lions perspective. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. We are now hit the top five. Ten through six, getting there is one thing. It's a big deal to get into the top ten as a whole. To be a part of the top five means you had a match where it couldn't be denied that it was some of the best, one of the best matches we saw all year. And these five, I think, will probably be on a lot of top 10 list. 
And starting off at number five, there's a little thing I like to like to play with, you know, in terms in my head is that I like to call better than you. Now, Tommaso Ciampa Velveteen Dream that I have at number seven was good. But what the Undisputed Era, Ricochet, Pete Dunne, and the War Raiders did in their War Games match at NXT TakeOver War Games was better than y'all. The storyline that led up to it was so amazing. It mainly started with the with of course Adam Cole losing the NXT North American Championship to Ricochet, and the storyline that built up to that was very impressive. After Ricochet won the championship, that's when it started to get deeper than that. They pretty much went after Ricochet. Um, I if I remember correctly, um. Pete Dunne started getting involved because of Mustache Mountain and that whole deal. And then they went, went after Pete Dunne. And then Ricochet and Pete Dunne facing off against the Undisputed Era. And Ricochet hitting Dunne due to... Um, I'm trying to think who was the... I think it was... Uh, was it Fish and Cole? No, that was uh, War Raiders. It was, I know Cole was involved. And I think it was O'Reilly, if I'm not mistaken. No, it was either him, either O'Reilly or Strong that was in this match. And that led into a champion versus champion match where both titles were on the line between Ricochet and Pete Dunne. Which then led into the Undisputed Era getting involved um, with a double disqualification and Bobby Fish making his return to NXT. Which was awesome. Hands down, dope as fuck. Um... Wait, no, was that the ETC3 deal? No, yeah, Vish came back with them. So, which led into the, now, if I remember correctly, the War Raiders started getting involved with the Undisputed Era after, I believe it was in Brooklyn. They attacked the Undisputed Era after their match. And it looked as if War Raiders were going to be next in line for the Tag Team Championships. And they were. And they faced the Undisputed Era for the Tag Titles. And that was the one that led uh, Bobby Fish to come back. That was the Bobby Fish return. So I beg your pardon on that. That's on my bad. And then it was supposed to be the War Raiders versus Fish and Cole in tag team action due to their actions. And William Regal put them both in a match. During the promo that the Undisputed Era had before the match with their War Raiders, the War Raiders attacked the Undisputed Era during the promo, which led to a fight on the outside of Full Sail Arena, which then prompted Ricochet to get involved in the, in the fight. And when they got brought back to the full sail, inside the Full Sail Arena, Pete Dunne then got involved, in which William Regal declared that this only could end one way, and that was going to end at War Games. Now, for the War Games match that we had last year, Undisputed Era versus AOP and Roderick Strong versus Sanity, that was good. It was a good match. Hands down, solid match. 
But this match, and I said it on my uh, NXT Takes Over Hollywood uh, episode of the podcast. This match was better. So all because of the point that it was a, it was it went back to a traditional four on four that they usually would have for a war games match. Um, last year when we first saw the element of the open cage, a lot of fans, like my including myself, were kind of turned off by the off by it because usually a war games match is a closed cage match, but. Triple H had said in a conference call that they're used. They had to open that a leaving the cage open was Vince's idea, and he didn't. And he eighty six the idea of having a closed cage, but it made sense due to the spots that they had in that match beforehand. This year, this year's version of the War Games match, I thank God that they had the the open cage concept because that double front flip back flip. 630, 720, whatever the fuck move that was from Ricochet was just insane. This was literally a war with all eight guys involved. Literally a war. Um, the spot where they had uh, Bobby Fish keep, you know, Pete Dunn locked in the cage with a second lock, that was memorable. Um, we then found out from Solid Monster, I saw on his Twitter page that Dunn had a foot injury. So they wanted to keep him out of the match as long as possible. And then when he got him into the match last, then he could perform some spots, which which kind of made sense after the fact when we saw the tweet. But this, but that match in and of itself was the best match of the night that beat Champa and Dream. And those two matches, they absolutely killed it. They all killed they, that card. Like I said, that card was probably my card of the year. Hands down. Four matches, and they all fucking killed it. It led to the point where the War Raiders, I think it was um, Hansen who had uh, received multiple injuries in that match. So the, ma- so the match we were supposed to get possibly take over Phoenix between the War Raiders and the Speed of Air had to get in the back burner. And now it looks like Heavy Machinery is going to be the ones to face Undisputed Era take over Phoenix before they move up to the main roster. But there were so many good moments in that match. Um, the spot that comes to my mind right now is when the all eight of them were in one, uh, one ring across from the other, and they had that spot in the middle where they were just talking trash to each other. Then they went under through the ropes, and then they met in the middle where the two rings met, and then they just started to beat on each other. was just absolutely fantastic. That spot was fucking great. Um... Like I said, the spot where Strong and Cole were trying to get Ricochet out of the cage. Um, so, and then, because due to that, they would have to forfeit the match due to Ricochet falling out the cage, um, that which led to that uh, huge double front flip, back flip, whatever the fuck that was spot. That was crazy. Um, I said that before, but still, it, it deserved a second uh, talk about because that was fucking nuts. In the end... The undisputed era got their got their come up got their just do they get they get they lost this match, but Ricochet Pete Dunn and Water Raiders had to win this match. They they won it last year. A lot of people wanted them to win it this this year to show that they're the dominant stable. But it, it called for Ricochet Pete Dunn and the War Raiders to win that match. It really did. Just the way they got to it is what makes the match significant. It was so fucking good. 
and it's so fantastic. Then Pete Dunne went on his way with NXT UK. Ricochet went on with his North American title defense, his recent one being Tyler Breeze. Unfortunately for uh, Hanson, he is out with injury right now, per story, like this per storyline or actual injuries. Uh, I'm not sure, but he wasn't the wedding for uh, Raymond Rose, so I think he's all right. Just, but just what happens after a war games match and what happened right after, soon after that was fucking great. It was awesome, and I really enjoyed that match fully. Number four. The G1 Climax Final between Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi. The only reason I... The main reason why I love this match so much because there's the possibility of Ibushi Omega 2. Or technically 3 if you want to go off DD Pro Standards. DDC Pro Standards. That possibility was there. And I love the fact that that possibility was there. Tanahashi Omega in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom 13 was, was the possibility was really fucking good. Um, the match itself was fucking spectacular. Uh, it was worthy of a G1 Climax final. Uh, having Shibata in the corner of Tanahashi was pretty fucking cool. Uh, of course, Kenny and the Bucks being in the corner of uh, Ibushi was great. When you really and, and for Ibushi, for a guy like Ibushi to actually be in that match, um, even though I know he's a lighter guy, it it was just so awesome to see. It, you know, think about it this way: you were literally taking doing seventeen matches in three weeks just to get to the main event that Sunday in the middle in the late in late August. That is a war of attrition on your body and on your mindset. And for those, for these two, especially after the matches they had just to get to the final with Tanahashi beating, uh, you know, having a draw with Okada and then having Ibushi beating Omega just to get to this point was the stuff of legend. Probably some of the, one of the best G1 climaxes I'd seen ever since I became a fan of New Japan. And the match itself was spectacular, whether you watched it in Japanese or whether you watched it in English. Now, I, I you know, recommend you watch both because the energy with Kevin Kelly, he, he made that match better. It's one thing to make... The match itself was fantastic, but Kevin Kelly and uh, I believe Rocky Romero was there, Chris Charlton... Uh, was involved with that with that commentary, and they made that they made that match so much better than it already was. With Tanahashi winning, um, I believe that was his third G One Climax victory, um, and it set up a huge mega main event for Wrestle Kingdom thirteen. And with that comes in this, of course, the speculation of the of the rumors of maybe Omega is going to the WWE. Uh, the speculation of maybe the Bucks and Cody Rhodes were going to WWE. This was now they've been eighty six. Um, I know Omega's still on contract with New Japan until I believe the end of January, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, and if I am, please correct me in my DMs. All that good stuff, because I want to make sure we're in the right mindset with all of it. But. 
this was a spectacular final. Um, I do respect Tanahashi. I love his game. He is the MVP, uh, if I remember, of Tokyo Sports for 2018, and he is a, it's well-deserved for him, uh, especially after the matches that he had against Okada this year with, you know, of course, Ibushi in the final. It was it was second and a none. And they fought, I think, for almost 45 minutes. They went at each other for the for just to just to just to get a shot at the main event. To be in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom 13 this year. This next year coming up. It was an absolute war. And I loved every second of it. I couldn't get enough of it. I can watch that match over and over and over and not get tired of it. I really can't. And I can't, and I probably will watch it again. Maybe, maybe while I'm on uh, getting ready to go on the plane this Sunday. Who knows? But uh, it's a solid placing. I think it's a solid place at number four, especially with the next three that we have coming up. And speaking of number three, which is actually my lucky number, I think this is a great placing for this match. This is the second of two women's matches that I had on this list. Um, I was not shocked that this match was going to be on my list uh, because of just the way it led up to it, the, the, the what we got out of it, given the fact that it was the best match on Evolution's card. If you haven't caught on yet, I'm talking about Becky Lynch versus Charlotte in a last woman standing match for the SmackDown Live Women's Championship at Evolution at number three. Becky Lynch and Charlotte has been a solid... If you want to go with Women's Feud of the Year, I could easily give Becky Lynch and Charlotte the honor. If I, if you want to go that route. I'm just handing out awards left and right. Don't mind me. It's like, it's like Halloween candy. Here you go, here you go. You get one, you get candy, you get candy. But this really came to a head at Evolution. Of course, the match that they had at Super, uh, Super Showdown uh, the month prior really made all the sense in the world to have this happen. It made the most sense. The way they ended that match at Super Showdown made sense for this match to go down. I think it was the go it was the go home show the the show before the go home show where Charlotte put Becky speared Becky through the LED board and they were literally beating the hell out of each other all of the second half of 2018. This match was just the biggest match in their chap in in their feud at to that point. And, of course, it was a first-time ever match and all that good stuff. But these two, and this is, this is probably the biggest hype match of Evolution's card, without fail. You can, you know, with the whole NXT champ, Women's Championship, that was, a decent, that was a pretty good match. The Raw Women's Championship, no one cared about. The uh, Mae Young Classic Final, everyone had promised for that. And they, it was good. It was a good match. But no other match, and a lot of people were, got, were pissed that Becky and Charlotte didn't close the show. It deserved main event billing. It deserved it then. I still say to this day, 
Becky Lynch and Charlotte should have closed that show because Nikki Bella Ronda Rousey had nothing to work with and was a terrible way to close out the show. And that match was shit. And I'll still say that to this day. That match was horrible. And we haven't seen the Bella Twins since, thank God. But what Becky Lynch and Charlotte were willing to do just to say they were the last woman standing and to be the SmackDown Live Women's Champion and be the one to face Ronda Rousey at Survivor Series said a lot. It said a whole lot. Uh, A lot of people didn't want Charlotte to win. I had predicted Becky Lynch would retain just for the mere fact that she had recently won the championship at Super... uh, No, it was uh, SmackDown 1000. And they went all out on each other. Move, big move after big move. Table spots. The table spot at the end was fucking fantastic. You know, with uh, Becky Lynch powerbombing Charlotte to the table. And kudos to Charlotte for taking that spot. Was just absolutely insane. And, and kudos to both of those ladies for putting on an absolute clinic. And to this point, you know, if there was a if there was a women's match of the year, this would have been it. That and the triple threat TLC match between Oscar, Becky, and Charlotte would have been number two, hands down. And then everyone else can go fuck off right after that. Because that's, that's the only list I need. Right there. That was truly the only list I need. And it's significant for women's wrestling to have those two matches be on anyone's... This two, those two matches could be on anyone's top 10 list, but this match alone is should be solidly on everyone's list. It really should. I don't think... I think Becky Lynch and Charlotte took that match and raised the, the so-called women's revolution to another level. Now, if everyone else can get on that level, I think we would have, hopefully, I hope that women, the women in WWE see this, see this match, play it over and over and get a sense of what they need to do to set a standard for women's wrestling in WWE in 2018. Those two put on an absolute show, an absolute show from beginning to end. The hatred was there. They wanted to beat each other. They wanted to be known as the SmackDown Live Women's Champion. The crowd was behind Becky the end for a majority of the match. This is awesome chance. Fight forever chance, I think there was at one point. It's a match you cannot forget, nor do you not want to forget. Because it was that significant at the time and still is right now. Numbers two and number one on my list. You could honestly interchange them and you and I probably wouldn't be mad at you for either one being tops on your list. Number two. And this is this was like I said this the number two and number one were tough. Like super tough. Because of the simple fact that A, 
both of these guys are on the list twice. And B, this is probably, up to this point, the best match in the feud so far. I'm talking about Tommaso Ciampa versus Johnny Gargano from NXT TakeOver Chicago 2. The street fight they had. Just, this was literally pure, unadulterated ass-kicking at its finest between two men at this point who truly hated each other. You can say whatever you want about rivalries and feuds in the main roster. But there's there's no reason why, there's a reason why Ciampa Gargano is the feud of the year. And not just NXT, but it should be in all of WWE. And I know WWE just had their awards or whatever, and a lot, trust me when I tell you, it's a crock of shit. Raw's brand of the year? Okay, miss me with that. NXT's your brand of the year, thank you. Um, with NXT UK right behind it. But, like I said, this was the best match of their feud so far. Just the ending of that match won. When Champa was was hand you know got handcuffed behind his back, somehow had the ability to get his legs through behind his hand. Like you know, if you have your hands behind your back, you get your legs through, and now your hands are in front of you. He was somehow able to just catch Gargano, DDT him on pure can- on pure boards. After he had ripped up the entire ring using the bolt closures to get the ring ropes off, get the ropes off of the canvas, exposing the ring itself, and DDT Gargano on that was. I had literally been in silence up to that point for at least half of the match. Just what they were doing, you know. I think at one point, I think uh, Champa had taken. Um, it put, it put a chair on Gargano's throat and driven it into the steel steps neck, you know, with, you know, with the chair catching the steel steps and the chair catching Gargano's neck, trying to like, destroy his throat, trying to crush his throat. That was, that was crazy. Um, they can't, they literally, and I love the, de- it was the details of this match were fantastic. They didn't come out in wrestling gear. They came out in street clothes. It was a street fight. They came and they came out. They used the crutch again, table spots, of course, the chair spot they had. They literally went to war. Literally went to war. You know, Candace LeRae being involved in the feud and, you know, her, you know, before the match, you know, taking the, the crutch and say, go kick his ass. Crowd marked out for that. I marked out for that. Um, it was just such a crazy match. Chicago went crazy for it. Chicago, and I think if I'm right, Nick was there for that. And he had told me that the crowd was going bananas. Bananas for it. I was at home going ape shit, like just punching with the couch, wanting to throw stuff, just in awe. I didn't want to miss a moment. I didn't, I, I was live tweeting the whole card. 
and I didn't want to miss that match. I literally put my phone down, I turned it over, I put it on silent, and I wanted to sit there and enjoy what we were getting. That's the kind of match that gets on my top 10 list, where I can just not worry about anything, not worry about live tweeting, not worry about, you know, any notes I may take, you know, for talking about TakeOver Chicago. I wish I had this podcast when TakeOver Chicago 2 happened. Because I would have been going bananas about this match. I really would have. Excuse me. I love this feud. And I know some people can say the unsanctioned match was the best match. The street fight was the best match. Their last man standing match was the best match of the feud so far. And it's crazy to believe that this feud isn't over yet. Like I said, when they talk, when I talked about it at number nine with the unsanctioned match, this is the type of feud that they can go on forever. It's along the lines of Owen Zane. It's that kind of feud oh my gosh. that can go on forever. Even if either of them go to different brands and then they somehow face each other at a Survivor Series and they're on different teams, that can just go on in that moment of possibility. You know, I'm thinking of it like that. But these two were former tag team partners. Chapa screwing over Gargano, thus breaking up DIY. And Gargano, you know, and now I'm just remembering stuff because uh, I had it on my uh, honorable mentions list, the almost Gargano match where Zelina Vega threw the t-shirt, DIY t-shirt at Gargano and him being distracted by that, you know, Thus giving almost the victory. You know, it, it's just so this this is so this feud is so significant for this year that all feuds now following that must beat that standard. I know the I know 2017's feud of the year for NXT was bait and done. I think 2018, when they give Gargano and Champa the honor, it is a much better feud than bait and done, hands down. And if you don't think I'm right, then you find me a better feud in NXT right now. In 2018, that was more significant than this. That's facts. The closest you may get is Cole Ricochet, and even then, I'll still tell you to go fuck yourself. Because it didn't have that story behind it, where ever since the beginning of this year, it is that it has been that good. Feel me? They're not the standard bearer for what all feuds must be in 2019. That's for real. That's for real, for real. But without my match at number one, Champa Gargana would more than likely be number one. Now, let me warm it up for you guys, right? You've been trying to become the heavyweight champion. Of your promotion. You've been one of the best guys. In your brand. For about a. a, Say at least a good six to eight months prior. You finally get a crack at the champion. You lose. You finally get your victory. Over the champion of the brand. Months later. You face him. 
in one of the most prestigious tournaments of the year. And you get the and you, and you think the feud is over. Right? You win the Intercontinental Championship. And I'm surprised this match didn't make my list, which is sad. And I completely forgot it. But it was a good, it was a really good match. And I know it's an honorable mention, but for some reason, the 15 matches that I'm going to be talking about, it's good. Don't get me wrong. But I'm going to probably catch a lot of heat for it. But it, it just, it was there, but there were so many matches better than that one that, that it, it unfortunately couldn't make the cut. And I'm very strict with my stuff, so you, as you can see. But then you get to your brand SummerSlam, right? Months, a couple months before the tournament, what you could feel is your last chance at the championship for a while. So much so to the point where it's best two out of three. I'm giving you hints if you haven't figured it out yet. But since you may not have figured it out, the Young Lions perspectives, number one match of 2018. And this is a, and I think, I believe if I remember correctly, I had tweeted this out. This is the match that is going to set the standard for all matches that follow it. And the matches that were, came before it. And I'm proud that this is my number one. And I'm proud that it's been my number one. It has had the staying power it has had since June. Number one of my matches for 2018. Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada 4. Two out of three falls match for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship at New Japan Pro Wrestling's Dominion. I told my buddy Russell that I would we would and like I said we were talking about you know I forget what I forget what we're in there uh, high spots podcast that's what it was shout out to them good shit um, they were talking about they had their list and this match actually was on their list for best of 2018 but I could not state why I told him I couldn't give him the my match of the year because I was going to be recording this. But there's something about this match that, in my eyes, was the best match of the year. The story behind it, of course, is what I led up to. These guys had three matches prior in, I believe, 2017. Omega never beat Okada. They had one match prior, and Okada beat Omega. Okada... uh, Omega finally beat Okada in a non-title contest. And then they had one more match in the G1 Climax Tournament in which Omega did beat Okada. Actually, no. They actually drew in that match. Yeah, they drew in that match because it was a uh, it was a match for the IWG, it was a rematch for the IWGP Championship. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm mistaken. And they drew. So it was 101 in Okada's favor. Omega finally beats Okada in the G1 Climax tournament. Now, last year's when I had my when I was trying to record my list for Kevin, I was trying to get it out there so we could put it on uh, our show, 
uh, Wrestling With Issues, this was in my top three. Actually, this was my number one match. Uh, was their second. Was their second out of three. That went to a 60-minute a draw. Because I felt the drama was there. Omega wanted to beat Okada that bad. And it took until the G1 Climax Tournament that he finally beat him. It was the probably the worst match of the three, and that's not a, a and that's not saying that it was bad. It was good. It was a really good match. But out of the three that we saw, that was probably I'd say the worst out of the three. Not in a bad way though. It was a really good match. But Omega finally beat Okada. Moving forward. Uh, Omega wins the uh, Intercontinental Championship. Had the match versus Chris Jericho, which was I thought was a solid no disqualification match. And these two went apeshit on each other. It was a great match, and I'm it, it, it's gonna it's gonna I'm gonna get my ass ringed out on a lot of people for that not having this match on the list. But I just the what I had they, what I had written here on my list. I still think those fifteen are better than that than Omega Jericho. It, it, I hate to say it. Actually, I lied. Um, Actually, no, it was the United States Championship. I'm sorry. Omega had won the United States Championship in, uh, it was in Long Beach. Strong style evolved. So, he, that was after his second, the second match with Okada. Everything's coming back to me now. So, he wins the U.S. title, beats Okada in the tournament to prove he can beat Okada, defends it all the way through to Wrestle Kingdom, had a great match with Jericho in the, in the disqualification match. Retains the U.S. title. Loses that to Jay White. And then we go back to June. I believe it was Sakura Genesis. No, it was Wrestling Dentaku. But that's on my honorable mentions uh, list. Omega approaches Okada and challenges him to a match at Dominion. For the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. They finally to finally settled the score. At this point, it was 1-1-1. One, one, and one. There had to be a definitive winner of the feud. What we got was over an hour of just pure, unadulterated, strong-style wrestling. I had never experienced um I, I there's been moments of you know just wow moments for me where i was just in shock i had never and i i i'm gonna i'm gonna say it and i'm not i'm, gonna, I'm actually gonna be able to be okay with the fact that i said this i had never experienced at a point where i almost damn near cried during a match i was that emotional in a match i was emotionally invested in that match because of the fact, because of the feud they had had in 2017. And that feud, in my honest mind, was one of the best feuds of all year. All year. Until Bait and Dunn happened. And then that fucked up everything for me. But this match was so significant. Due to, you know, this was just after Okada defended the belt 13 times. Like hit his 13 consecutive defense. You know, he had broken that mark. He had been champion for close to two years at that point. Which is, in its of itself, 
an honor. I think the only other long reign that I can remember of was Johnny Gargano's 873-day reign as Open the Dreamgate Champion in uh, Dragon Gate USA. The match hit every mark. Over 60 minutes to determine a champion. Went all three falls. I don't think any fall was less than 20 minutes. At least. Okada, in, I think it was a, the first fall itself, I think it was like a little over 30 minutes. With each fall having a two-minute uh, rest period. And you had Gato in the corner of Okada. And then you had the Young Bucks, which were still kind of heelish, in Omega's corner. Don't mind me, I'm just piecing it all together. I'm taking my time with this. This is match of the year in my eyes. The first fall was a little, I believe, a little bit over 30 minutes. Okada gets the first fall after all after finally hitting the Rainmaker on Omega. The second and third, and then Omega had to fight back to win the second, and he fought hard to get that second fall, get the second fall of the match. The third fall was literally a a, a means of who had the most amount in them, who was willing to go that extra mile and take it to that extra level to be the IWGP heavyweight champion. The second and third falls at that at which point I was literally just I forgot where I was at. I didn't care where I was at. There could have been a fire going on, an earthquake that was going to destroy the world could have been happening at that moment and my eyes would have been glued to my phone watching that match. You got to think, there was legacy on the line between these two. Not only being the definitive winner of one of the best feuds of 2018, legacy for Okada to retain the IWGP Championship for a 14th time, but Omega finally, finally being able to say, I am IWGP Heavyweight Champion. It doesn't get any better than that. Hands down. No other match on this list. And I can say this without a shadow of a doubt. No match on this list can honestly say they can reach that level. There are really good there are really good matches on this list. I think what I have here is the 10, in my opinion, the 10 best of the year. But when you look at Omega Okada 4 and every other match on this list, there's a reason why I said Omega Okada set the standard that all matches must follow this year. When I sat down and wrote down this list, and I officially put it in pen yesterday. I really sat down and I immediately, one, number one immediately was Omega Okada 4. And every mat, other match had fallen in place right after that. 
it's kind of like one, and there's a huge gap, and then there's Champa Gargano at two. Nothing else on this list, including my honorable mentions. Excuse me. Touches Omega Okada four. And I know people will still give Meltzer shit about this, but he said he gave this seven and a seven and a half stars, if I remember, if my mind serves me right. He's he that definitively meant that it was the greatest match he had ever seen in his life. Omega Okada four is one of the greatest matches I have ever seen in my life. In my 22 years of being a fan of professional wrestling. It is without a doubt one of the best matches I have ever seen, hands down. If you have never watched Omega Okada 4, I would literally, and I'm telling you this right now, watch every watch their first three matches in order to get the feel of what this is all about before you watch Omega Okada 4. It's one of the best stories I have ever like seriously, when it comes to New Japan's booking, they go long term. This literally went a year and a half. Following Omega Okada 4, Okada lost himself. He went into the G1 Climax tournament kind of a shell of what Okada used to be. You're a champion for over almost two years. I mean, think about that. Almost two years? You don't know anything else but being a champion. He had to redefine himself. And now he's about to go into Wrestle Kingdom 13 facing Jay White after his cornerman, Gato, screwed him over and became a part of the, you know, OGBC squad of uh, Bullet Club. Kenny right now is about to face Hiroshi Tanahashi and what many people are thinking could be Omega's last match in New Japan. Two huge separate paths leading to two big matches at Wrestle Kingdom 13. This would be the first time in seven years that old, that Kazuchika Okada is not involved in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. Period. I think it's either six or seven years that he's not going to be involved in the main event as either champion or the winner of the G1 Climax because he's won it twice himself. This was and th- That's how big this match was. Okada had to redefine himself. He had to find himself again. He had to change his hair color. He changed his music. He came out with balloons instead of the dollar bills that he used to come out with. It, it was it, it was a crazy storyline that he came up with. He Gato screwed him. Now he's involved with a high profile feud with Jay White. Omega really much damn near tore through the G One Climax tournament undefeated. Know what I mean? He had to face Abushi in one of the best matches of the year at number six. And now he's in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom 13, possibly being possibly being his last match in New Japan, period. Matches like these don't come often. The 10 matches I have here don't come often. Whatever your top 10 will be will more than likely be different than mine. And that's fine. I expect it. I welcome it. Because like I said in the beginning, top 10 lists create debate. Your match of the year may be much, much different than my match of the year. You may base it off different promotions. 
NXT UK matches may be on there, but don't do. But I don't think any of those matches that we, they're really solid matches. Don't get me wrong. There's been you know Dunn Devlin, uh, Gibson Dunn, um, Banks Coffee, you know Seven Coffee, but none of none of what fits my criteria for match of the year just yet. NXT UK will have their day with that starting in January. NXT Takeover UK, NXT UK Takeover Blackpool. But I'm saying without a shadow of a doubt, none of the none of the none of the nine before Okada Omega Four can light a candle to that match. That is my top ten list for 2018. Tell me, what's yours? Well, guys, that's going to be it for episode 38 of the Young Lions Perspective. Like I said in the beginning of this show, thank you so much for what I believe is a was a kick-ass 2018, six months in, and this is only the beginning, guys. Stick by me, and I'll stick by y'all, and we're going to have a fantastic 2019. Like I said in the beginning, this can only go up from here thank you so much for taking time out of your day your night your afternoon your evening whatever time you took out of your day to check out this podcast wherever you may be wherever you are in the world thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of the podcast i truly and greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart as this is the last episode of 2018 if you enjoyed this episode or any of the 37 episodes prior to this episode do not hesitate to tell a friend to tell a friend about this show. Share it on your social media. I mean this. I seriously mean this. This is definitely my top 10 list. So this is a big fucking deal for me to put this out there for you guys. To give you my opinion of the best matches of the year, in my honest opinion. Share it on your social media, your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook, whatever social media platforms you use. Share this with the people and the people know that the Young Lions perspective is the alternative for professional pro wrestling podcast. And that we are here to stay now if you don't check me out on the anchor app which is pretty much the home base for this podcast and why don't you this is literally the up and coming app for podcasting in the game period you can check me out on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, breaker Castbox, overcast pocket cast radio public stitcher radio and of course that good old spotify fam Search for the Young Lions Perspective and you should have no problem finding it on any one of those platforms. If you want to follow me on my social media, please check me out on Twitter at SwedeSenatorWWIN on Instagram at Young underscore Lions underscore Perspective. Follow me on both of those platforms to keep yourself updated with the show every time a show drops or if I'm doing a quick little video on Instagram about something that I uh, saw on the news or something like that. I'm going to try to do more of that in 2019 to keep you guys up to date with the stuff that comes out, especially with breaking news that literally comes out almost every day. I'm going to try to do a lot better with that in 2019. You have my word behind that. Guys, I really have nothing much to look forward to. Uh, there will be no NXT and no NXT UK reviews. Um, like I said, this is the last podcast of 2018. Um, January 2nd will be the first episode of 2019 Wrestle Kingdom 13 preview and predictions. Um, I'm not exactly sure when we'll be getting, be getting back to regular time, regular uh, NXT and NXT UK reviews that may be going down the week after I come back from vacation. 
but I will be doing, of course, like I said, I will be doing something for Wrestle Kingdom 13 because that is uh, definitely the biggest show of the year at that point because it'll be the first pay-per-view, big pay-per-view of 2019. So I definitely want to put something out there for you guys to keep to keep you in, uh, you know, your euphoric state just for a little bit. Guys, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for being a part of this podcast, being a part of this journey that we are on so far. And like I said, it's only going to get bigger and better from here until january 2nd 2019 guys have uh enjoy the rest of your christmas day have a safe and healthy happy new year from the young lions perspective of course my dog marley and uh, my mother who actually was a part of this podcast it's at some point when we shape or another guys happy new year get ready for january 2nd 2019 it's gonna be a crazy ass year until then see you